0: Lord, we confess uh, some of us this morning come with cloudy vision. The things that are happening around us, the, the pain that we feel over our brokenness, over the brokenness of the situations that we're dealing with, over our health, over, over relationships that are struggling, over jobs that are unfulfilling, over, over whatever it is, God. Our vision has been clouded. And yet, God, as we gather this morning, as we read your word, as we sing these songs of truth that remind us of the hope that we have, Lord, we, we sense that you're, you're, you're peeling back the curtains. You're, you're, you're causing the clouds to, to drift away. You're removing the fog. And, and here we are, and here you are. And we can see just a little bit better. Our, our glimpse is a little bit clearer. And God, the hope that we have in you becomes even that much more bright as we gather together in your name and for your glory. Lord, thank you for, for these songs. Thank you for this congregation that as we sing together, we, we participate in reminding each other of the hope that we have. And Lord, it is our desire to stand firm in these days and always for the name of Jesus Christ. And so now as we open your word one more time in the book of First Peter, I pray that you'd speak to us by your spirit. I, I pray that everything that you would have uh, for us, we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. For the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Friends, you can be seated. Good morning. good morning. So good to be with you. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's a delight, as always, uh, to open God's word together. We're going to be, as Pastor Nate said, and so eloquently led us through. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you now, we'll be in 1 Peter. This is our last message. And Nate, it was, it's just 20. It's not more than 20. Just 20 messages. So let's just get that straight. Set the record straight here. And... Um, We'll be in chapter 5, verses 8 through uh, the end of the chapter, verse 14. Well, last summer, uh, Christy and I were doing some yard work, and we were uh, putting some ties, some railroad ties, around our fire pit in the backyard. And, and there was a fairly large space left there by the previous owners that we turned into a fire pit, so we needed a lot of railroad ties. Now, I have a truck, right? And so we thought, no big deal. Let's just go to Menards. They have some railroad ties there. Let, let's let's go there with my truck. We'll get the railroad ties. We'll bring them home. We'll install them. It'll take a couple of hours. No big deal. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> so, so we got to Menards and uh, you know, we went out in the yard and we look at these railroad ties and I'm sort of an eternal optimist when it comes to these things. I look at them and sure they're heavy, but I got a truck, no big deal. And, and so, you know, you know, I say, Hey, let's, let's just load them up. This isn't going to be a problem. Let's get home and, and, and get going. But, but Christy, on the other hand, uh, she sized up those railroad ties. And then she remembered riding in that rickety old truck to get to Menards. And let's just say uh, she didn't have the same measure of faith that I did. All right. Let's just be honest about that. And, And her response was, there's no way that your truck can handle that heavy load. It's not going to happen. We're going to have to make several trips. But again, she lacked faith, all right? And and so rather than take her, (laughs) amen, amen. And so rather than take her advice, I turned to the kid working at Menards, and I said, well, what do you think? (laughs) And of course, if you work at Menards, uh, you have an expert uh, level uh, acumen in all things mechanical, even if you're 16, and even if you just started working there last week. But this kid said, well, yeah, you know, I mean, it should be fine. you, you got a truck. I mean, what are trucks for, right? <laughs> that was all I needed. Honey, you just stand over there. Let us man- handle this. And uh, we're, we're just going to make this thing work. So, so why don't you get the forklift. Let's load these babies up. <laughs> well, that forklift came. And, and those railroad ties, there were 16 of them on the end of this forklift. It started tilting a little bit. You know, it was, it was precarious to say the least. But I'm confident, right? The kid said it would work. And they start, putting, they start putting these railroad ties in the back of my truck. And as, as each one goes in, they're about 200 pounds apiece. I mean, they're heavy. And that truck starts sinking lower and lower. And pretty soon, you can hear the springs grinding in the back, right? And, and, and there's about, about a half an inch of clearance between the wheels and the rims in the, in the back of that truck. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's precarious, I'm going to admit. And, and I started to think, you know, uh, Christy may have had a point. <laughs> But by this time, I was invested. So so I'm not going to back down, right? And so instead of doing what I should have done, which is say, hey, why, why don't we just back those railroad ties out? We can make a few trips. I mean, we don't live that far uh, from here. I got a bright idea. See, I bought the truck several years ago, and I never had the chance to use the airbags that are in the back. There's these airbags you can hook up a compressor to, and it, it sort of blows the back up like a balloon. And it's supposed to allow you to carry a heavier load. I'd never even tried it before. But I thought, bam, here's my opportunity. And so I asked the guy at Menar's, you got an air compressor around here? And he, he said, well, yeah, of course, of course we do. We can get that out for you. And so I said, sweet. And so I, I drove the truck, I mean, as slowly as I could. Those, gear, those, those springs were grinding in the back. I drove it over to where the air compressor was, and I started pumping air into that truck. And nothing moved, right? I mean, 10 seconds in, and there's not, an in, there's, not, there's not a millimeter of movement in the back end. And so, but I'm thinking, I, you know, I just got to keep doing this. This is what they're for. And so I kept pumping air into the, into the airbags, and 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, nothing moves, 50 seconds, 60 seconds, and all of a sudden, you know it's coming, right? <laughs> Bam! Bam! <laughs> this gunshot noise just blows up over the sound of that air compressor and immediately I, I, I knew i had blown up the airbags in my truck. <laughs> Let's just say it wasn't my best moment, all right? And so finally, after all of that, I had to do what no husband ever wants to do and yet what most husbands ought to do almost every day, if not every day, every hour, every second, honey, you were right, all right? <laughs> I was wrong. I, I blew it. See, in my truck just wasn't equipped for the kind of pressure that we, that it that it faced, that I was allowing it to undertake. It, and it popped. It blew up. It didn't have what it took. It was too much pressure. It turns out not all trucks can carry the same loads. All right? Now, friends, that, that's true for more than just trucks, isn't it? That's a reality uh, for for humanity. Humanity has faced varying levels of pressure throughout its existence. And it comes in all ways, shapes, and forms. I mean, I think about the people of Ukraine right now. They're facing tremendous pressure. They're facing tremendous adversity. I think about people like Martin Luther King Jr. and the pressure that he faced in the 1960s. I think about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln at these critical junctures of our nation's history. They faced tremendous pressure. I think about the martyrs in first and second century Rome. It was a tough time to to be a Christian. And they faced all kinds of pressure. And pressure has been around since the Garden of Eden. We've seen it throughout history. And, And some have withstood the pressure. Some have risen to the occasion but some haven't. Some have, have, have exploded underneath the weight of that pressure. And friends, no doubt you're here this morning and, and you're facing a varying measures of, of pressure, even today. And, and it's likely uh, that the rea- the reality is for most of us, we're handling it. You know, my truck actually works great 98% of the time, all right? Uh, most of us can handle the pressure that comes uh, across our, our paths. But what about those moments when everything feels like it's falling off the rails. The, the, pr- the pressure, the load is, is too much. Someone in our, li- our life gets sick. We, we love that person. There's pressure. When our convictions are questioned at work and our job is on the line, there's pressure. When our spouse gives us an ultimatum, there's pressure. When one of our kids says, Mom and Dad, i got to share with you something and it's going to be shocking to you. There's pressure there. It's difficult. It's hard. What do we do then? How then do we hold up? Friends, throughout his letter, Peter's been preparing the church in exile for for the enormous amount of pressure that they're sure to face in the coming days and weeks and months and even years uh, ahead. And contrary to my naivete about the abilities of my truck, uh, Peter carefully instructs the church about their payload capacity. And and see, surprisingly, they're a lot stronger than they might have thought. See, in Christ, (laughs) The church is a lot less like my old pickup truck and a lot more like a flatbed trailer on the end of an 18-wheeler. <laughs> you ever seen one of those things? That a really fascinating design, at least to me, a non-mechanically inclined person, obviously, right? But, but here on the back of a, an 18-wheeler, there, there, there's the flatbed uh, trailers, they're, they're built with a curve in the middle. They're built with a hill, an arc. You know why that is? so that they can withstand heavy loads. When you put a heavy load on the back of a flatbed trailer, uh, that, that, that arc compresses and it flattens out, and it resists that pressure. It's built to withstand the pressure over the long haul uh, as, as that truck is going down the road. In church, Peter's demonstrated throughout his letter that in the design, in, in the engineering of these elect exiles of the dispersion, there's a payload capacity sufficient for whatever load they're asked to accept. They're equipped for the task. Whether it's a challenge to their faith, whether it's dealing with unjust authorities, whether it's existing in a difficult marriage, whether it's the reality of, of suffering that, that, that they were sure to face, Peter has repeatedly demonstrated that what God requires of his people, God provides for them. And as Peter writes his, his final instructions in this letter, he, he brings it all together. The team is gathered around him and the whistle's about to blow and he says, guys, Team, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to remember. We've we practiced this all week. We've been going through all the drills. You know, but let me remind you. Let me set this in context for you. It's time to take the field. Here's what you're to do. And with that, this is what he writes: 1 Peter chapter five, verses eight through fourteen. Would you follow along as I read? He says, "Be sober-minded." To shape our discussion this morning, I'm going to argue that Peter focuses our attention on three realities, okay? There's three realities that he's describing here. Uh, The first reality is this, what has God done in the past? This is what God has done in the past to to bring us to where we are today. But but not just about what God has done in the past, he also describes what God is going to do in the future. Uh, what, what, What hope do we have in Jesus Christ? And then... With, with the past in mind, with the future in front of us, Peter wants the church to understand this is how you're equipped to engage the present. Okay? This is what's in front of you. This is the, the availability, the resources that you have. This is your payload capacity. This is what you're capable of by God's grace. And so with that, let, let's dive in. Let's unpack this text here together. No, notice what Peter says in verse 10. Okay? The, the beginning of verse 10, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace who has called you in the past to his eternal glory in Christ will do these things. And we'll talk about those in a minute. But Church Peter reminds his readers, look, in the past you've been called. You've been called according to God's grace. You've been chosen. God's already done this. uh, Nate uh, referenced all kinds of beautiful passages on the screen just a moment ago. In 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, Peter wrote, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He, He references, look, you are the elect. This is what God has already done for you, in you. And in verse 3, he says, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what God has done already in the past. And friends, for the the bulk of the first two chapters in Peter, in 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 the letter of 1 Peter, he reminds us of God's redemptive work in us. We are a people chosen for grace. Isn't that amazing? That's that's an astounding reality. We who were once caught up in the passions of our former ignorance, uh, verse 14, chapter 1, now we're ransomed, verse 18, from the futile ways inherited from our fathers. Church, we were once dead in our sin. We were once without the capacity to resist sin. We were worse than my old truck, all right? But God has rebuilt us from the ground up. He's recreated us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. We're remade in Christ and we're designed to do good works. We're designed to glorify God under whatever payload he allows in our lives. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in the... Church, what God requires, God provides. Praise God. In 1 Peter five twelve. Peter summarizes his writings uh, thus far in the letter as the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. This is what God has made available to us. In verse 13, he refers to the church in Babylon as, as those also who are chosen. Peter's reminding the church, you've been reclaimed in Christ. You've been made new in Christ. Yes, you're in exile. That that is your present circumstance. That's your reality. Yes, life can be hard sometimes. Sometimes suffering is a part of the deal, this side of heaven. But remember, you're called to be who you are, not where you are. You're called to be who you are, not where you are. Your circumstances do not define you. But you know who does? Jesus. Amen. Jesus defines you. God has chosen you to be in Christ. You are chosen for grace to be identified with Jesus. You're chosen to receive grace. But but not just that. You're not only chosen to receive grace. God has also called you to demonstrate grace, to demonstrate his glory. And so in 1 Peter 1.15, uh, Peter reflects the Old Testament when he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is God's calling on our lives, church. We're, we're not only chosen for grace, we're also called to holiness. We're called to holiness. And Peter reflects this in, in verse 8. He says, humble, uh, excuse me, he says, uh, be sober minded, be watchful. You have a responsibility as a representative of Jesus Christ in this world to to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled, to be aware of how you represent the one who has saved you, who has brought you out of death and into life. And so don't let the devil tempt you to shrink back from your calling. You're called to holiness. And the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is your model. That, That suffering servant. That prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter two twenty one. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. What were the steps of Christ? Where did He walk? <laughs> he walked all the way to the cross. Church, we're to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. That's the calling we're called to holiness. And as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, even if that means suffering, and even as that means suffering, we function according to our calling. We function as that royal priesthood, that, that, that people chosen by God, perfectly suited according to God's grace to proclaim the excellencies who, of him who called us out of darkness and into light. First Peter 2.9 Friends, we've been chosen for grace and we've been called to holiness. That's what God has done in our past. The the spec sheet doesn't lie, church. (laughs) We have a payload capacity that's capable. God's done that for us. He's equipped us. He's remade us according to his grace. But church, it's not enough just to know our past, okay? Our past is important, amen? But that's not all that Peter leaves us with. And so praise God, he's also given us a powerful glimpse into the future. There's a future reality that is yet to come. Nate read this passage earlier. After you suffered, verse 10 uh, of, of chapter five now, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. This is what God is gonna do. Church, notice that that Peter acknowledges the present reality here. He he understands. Even as he points to the future, yes, suffering is real. Suffering is a part of the human experience, this side of heaven is a product of the fall that happened in the Garden of Eden. Yes, you suffer, but, but remember, suffering is not without hope. Suffering is for a little while. Suffering is temporary. It's not the eternal state of the believer, instead. The God of all grace, the one who's chosen us, has secured for us our place with him forever in glory. Where there will be no more suffering, friends. There will be no more tears. There's come, there comes a day when lion and lamb will coexist together in perfect peace. I long for that day, don't you? It's going to be a good day. It's to come. It's sure to come. Praise God. And see, church, many a battle has been fought over things in this world that are temporary, that don't last, right? Borders of countries, uh, natural resources, riches, honor. But no matter how long a dynasty remains in power, history has proven that political entities don't last. There is no human government that has existed throughout all of human history. That's not how it works. The mighty have fallen over and over and over. But you know what lasts? You know what sticks? The reign of Jesus Christ. His kingdom will endure to the end and beyond. And scripture teaches that in Christ, our place is with him in glory. Our place is with Jesus. That's the future, friends. We've been gifted an inheritance that is made secure through the blood, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember that that narrative we've been been rehearsing here? Christ died. He was crucified. He he was resurrected. He ascended. And now he's glorified. He sits next to the right hand of the throne of God. The Father. Ooh, I conflated like 16 words there in one sentence. Uh, He he exists right there next to the Father. And he's coming back. He's going to take us into glory. We have a place with him. Praise God. Now, notice the second half of verse 10. Uh, With increasing intensity, uh, Peter expounds on the promise of the eternal glory. This is a a great promise that God has given us. The world is currently plunged in brokenness and sin. Amen? The, The world is a mess, okay? And pressure mounts. But church, sin does not win the day. Sin does not win the day, and God's people do not cave. See, the promise of glory is that Jesus is doing a redemptive work. Verse 10 says that he himself will restore. What's he going to restore? You know, the creation that he spoke into existence, that his father called good in Genesis 1, that now groans under sin's curse, it's going to be remade. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. That day is coming. It'll be good once again, church. God's going to do that. And he'll also confirm the church. And see, many would explain away the truth of the gospel. They would say that science disproves the veracity of Scripture. They would say that there's a higher morality. They would claim philosophical reasoning for contradicting the validity of Scripture. But friends, everything that Scripture now affirms will one day be fully confirmed at the second coming of Jesus. (laughs) When His glory is revealed in fullness. And those who now mock His name Will then bow to his name as they face the wrath and the glory of, the God in, uh, of God whom they've rejected. Church, God will restore creation and he'll confirm the believer. That day is sure to come. He's already uh, done a restorative work, he's already done confirming works. We read scripture, we see history unfold, and we see, wow, God knows. God knows. It'll be fully confirmed one day. But not only that, See, He'll also strengthen us. He'll strengthen us. Where we now lack fortitude and courage. Anybody ever lack fortitude and courage? Uh, me, right? Sometimes we lack our humanity, our fallenness, our brokenness. We get discouraged. But where we now lack fortitude and courage, God is going to supply a strength that will never diminish. It'll always be there. That's no longer subject to the influence of our flesh. Church in the future, praise God, fear permanently gives way to glory as it looks deep into the face of Jesus Christ. That day is sure to come. And then finally, after God does a restoring work, after God does a confirming work, after God does a strengthening work, then he's going to do an establishing work. He's going to establish us on the footings of his kingdom. (laughs) The temple, uh, Christ's church, the people of God, will be built on a foundation that will never move. And, And the consummation of all of God's initiatives throughout time and space will rest in the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be a good day, church. These are the promises of Jesus. This is our hope. This is our conviction. Church, do you see how the past and the future prepare us to face the the present realities of this world? What a gift. What a gift God has given us through the writings of Peter, through the gospel. Because of what God has done in our past, we have the necessary resources. Because of God, what God will do in the future, we have the necessary hope. We're equipped for whatever God allows. And so we can stand firm in the present. We can stand firm today. Huh. And so Peter says, here's how. Here's how. Verse 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Church, in the present, we must be aware of our adversity and our adversary. We must be aware that we have an adversary who is both formidable and real. Church, the devil is real. He's not just a metaphor. He's not just a nebulous, out-there, figurative kind of thing. No, the devil's real. And he hates what God has done in our past and what God will do in our future. And so, like a caged lion, he, he paces the earth ready to pounce on anything that would, that would threaten him. Ready to pounce at every opportunity. And, and though we ought not attribute to him that which we attribute to God, the devil is not God. Amen? He's not. We must also not ignore his threat, and, and I appreciate how Daniel Doriani frames this. And so I share this with you. He says conventional Christian wisdom rightly observes that we might make two mistakes regarding Satan. Okay, something to think about here. We can take him too seriously, as if he possessed God's omnipotence, his power, his omniscience, his knowledge, and his omnipresence, his ability to be everywhere all at once. But he's not God. He's an angel, and like all other creatures. He's in one place at a time. He has areas of ignorance, and he has finite power. He's not unlimited. Indeed, Michael the archangel is presented as his peer in Revelation 12, 7. That's one mistake. But then Doriani says this. He says, on the other hand, uh, we can fail to take him seriously enough, reducing him to a cartoon villain. We do both, don't we? Sometimes. (laughs) Church, church. We have the necessary tools to resist the devil. We've got them. They're ours. We need not fear. But we also must not underestimate his his power or his agenda. He is the accuser, he is a liar, and he will do whatever he can to thwart the work of God. Be prepared, resist the devil. Church, we have an adversary. But praise God, we also have God's resources. We have God's resources. Look at verse 9. Peter says this. He says, resist him, resist the devil, firm in your faith. How do we resist the devil, church? Not with our own supply. We don't bring the goods. I don't have what it takes to stand firm in this broken world. But I do have the resources of God. And so I stand firm, and you're invited to this too. We stand firm in our faith. Uh, Peter calls it the true grace of God, again, in verse 12. This is the gospel. Church, we have the shed blood of Jesus that is sprinkled over us to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, to cleanse us, to, to, to defend us against the accusations of the evil one who would seek to remind us or to tell us, to lie to us and say, hey, what Jesus did for you is not enough. You actually need to earn it. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should, you should quit trying because you can't do it. He's an accuser. No, no, no. We have the gospel. We have the faith. The sprinkled blood of Jesus reminds me I'm not right with God because of myself. I'm right with God because of Jesus. That's my claim. I, that's my stake in the ground. That's ours. That's the resource of God. Church, we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us to protect us from the devil's schemes. We have the scriptures. (laughs) The the, the, the devil uh, masquerades as an angel of light, but he's dark, make no mistake. But church, the scriptures are a lamp to our feet. They're a light to our path. The light of God, through the resources he's made available to us, overwhelm the darkness every time. That's ours in Christ. And so we we don't need fancy recitations or techniques to resist the devil in our lives, we have the faith. Now, he'll, he'll come at us, he'll oppose us, he'll send his, his evil henchmen to, to do that. But, church, we've got what it takes, we've got the payload capacity. Peter says, stand firm in that, stand firm in the faith. Now, uh, one more time, notice verse 10. <laughs> Can you tell verse 10 is pretty important in this passage? <laughs> Peter says, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Church, we have the resources of God. We have the faith, and we also have hope. And and don't underestimate how important hope is. You know, as I, I look at that terrible situation in Ukraine, And I watch how that nation is resisting the invasion of Russia. I'm fascinated. And I think a big part of their ability to resist is the hope that, that's instilled in them by their leader and I trust me I'm not smart enough to make political statements about any of this I don't even read that stuff but but what I'm watching is is there's there's a there's a leader that's instilling hope in those people and those people are seeing hey we can resist this evil entity we can we can push back we can have some success church there's hope there for those ukrainians don't underestimate the value of hope but here's the thing they don't know the outcome of what's going to happen none of us do There's no script that's been written. There's no promise. There's no guarantee that in pushing back the Russians, they'll have their country back. I hope that for them. But that's not the kind of hope that we're talking about. Church, we have a different hope in Christ. Our hope rests in a resurrected Savior. Our hope rests in the word of God. That points to and from that resurrection. Our hope rests in the conviction that God wins and he's proven his ability to do it when he got up out of that grave. We're going to celebrate that next week. Don't miss it, okay? Church, when the devil invades in whatever form, we we need not buckle We need not buckle under pressure. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 12, since we have such a hope, that hope like I just described, we're very bold. (laughs) We stand firm. Church, we have the faith. And in that, we have hope. We have hope. But not just faith and hope. There's more resource available to us. Look at verse 9. Uh, Peter says, Resist him, resist the devil, firm in your faith, Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Church, are, are, are you suffering, child of God? Are, are you hurting? Are you struggling? Are you, are you afraid? You're not alone. You're not, you're not alone. There are people throughout the whole world that love Jesus that are experiencing pain, that are experiencing heartache, whose marriages aren't working like they thought they should, whose kids aren't making the decisions they hoped they would, whose jobs aren't fulfilling, who are experiencing opposition from people that are poo-pooing their faith. You're not alone. If you're at home this morning and you're watching online and you're wondering, is life ever going to return to normal? Hear me on this. You're not alone. And yes, God is with you, but there's a, there's a host of people right here that love you and that care for you. And there's a host of, of Christians throughout this world that are representing Jesus and are walking with Him and they're suffering for it. You're not alone, church. There's strength in numbers. You're in a great community of, of faith. Be encouraged. Though suffering lasts for a little while, you're not the only one suffering. Take solace from your brothers and sisters around the world and right here in Marshfield who who who, who are suffering uh, in the name of Jesus. Take solace knowing that that th- there are others who are. Struggling, you can make it, stand firm. I I can't tell you how important it was for me during these last three years to have a group of friends who who are pastors serving churches that I could go to and say, hey, I'm struggling with this and I don't know how to do this and and I haven't encountered this before. Are you experiencing the same thing? And us to look at each other and say, yeah, we're experiencing the exact same thing. It's hard. I don't know either, (laughs) but I can pray for you. I can't tell you how encouraging and how important that was for me. God gave me a great resource in that You're not alone here, church, and we're passionate that you you know that and that you experience that. We gathered yesterday, about 50 of us men, we ate moose sausage, right? It was great, (laughs) and some other stuff too, which is also great. But friends, we, we have to keep gathering together. We have to keep encouraging each other. We have to keep availing ourselves, opening our lives to each other, man, woman, student, child, all of us. We need the resource of community. I'm so passionate about that why am i passionate cuz i think that's what scripture teaches <laughs> we need it community makes us better church makes us stronger i need you and you need me our community is a precious commodity that we must not take for granted now notice notice the other communal references in verses 12 through 14 Peter says uh, in his closing exhortation, his closing, closing uh, salutation, he says, By Silvanus, a, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Now, S- Silvanus, uh, likely Silas, uh, was an amanuensis, uh, one who wrote Peter's words. Peter uh, wrote the book, but but uh, it's, it's possible that, that Silas, uh, Silvanus, was the one who actually transcribed them with pen and paper. He also could have been a courier. It actually doesn't matter that much, except that Peter was involved in the deliver, uh, excuse me, Silas Sylvanus was involved in the delivering of Peter's letter to the church. He was a partner to Peter. Peter called him a faithful brother. He exercised his gifts as Peter exercised his, all for the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. All of us don't have to be Peter, amen? <laughs> Praise God for Silas. Praise God for his faithfulness. Now look at verse 13. He said, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my my son. Uh, Babylon, very quickly, is a, a reference to Rome. Peter's saying, look, you're not alone. Though you think you're in a forgotten place, we haven't forgotten you. The church in Rome, likely the place from which you came, the church has not forgotten you. Mark, who you know, who, who likely knows you, who wrote the gospel with me, uh, Peter, uh, 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 he was under my influence. Mark is also a part of this community. Mark sends his greetings. Look, you're not alone. There's a community of people behind you. We've got you back. We're praying for you. Keep doing the same for others. Keep doing the same for each other. And in verse 14, he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, we're not going to walk out of here today and all kiss each other, right? Uh, that'd be weird, right? Uh, but, but in the first century, uh, a kiss, like a touch on the cheek, that was a part of the deal. You go to Italy. I've been to Italy before. They make you do that. It's super awkward for us Americans, especially upper Midwestern Americans, right? But, but the point is, look, be together, greet each other, extend the grace of God to each other, and make sure you don't miss it. So shake each other's hand. Give each other a hug. Maybe ask permission first if you don't really know that person, all right? Greet each other in the name of Jesus. Be together. We need each other. Community makes us better. Celebrate the community that you're in. It's going to sustain you. Friends, community is a great resource. I wonder, are you using it? Are you using it? (laughs) Don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. Don't just listen to podcasts and stay at home and worship online. I mean, there, there are reasons to do that. And, and, and our society has taught us that's necessary sometimes. But, but that's not the, the long haul uh, provision of God. To draw on the resource of community, we actually need to know each other. And we need to be known. And so if that's not true in your life, if you're not uh, drawing on that resource, you're forfeiting a significant part of what gives you the necessary capacity to stand firm in these times it's like you're driving my truck when you could drive an 18-wheeler with a flatbed, right? And trust me, you don't want that. And so with that, Peter gives us our, our final charge. He wraps it up. In verse 80, he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. In other words, stay awake. You think Peter knew the, the, the challenge to stay awake? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? And Jesus said to Peter, can't you stay awake for one hour? Oh, Peter knew. He's saying, look, don't don't make the same mistake I did. Stay awake. Church, let's not drift. Let's not veer off the path. Uh, Let's pay at the pump when we need to. Church, the work is too important. Those moments where you're you're prone to lose your wit, where you let your weariness overwhelm you, those are the moments when you're most vulnerable. Stay awake. The devil is prowling. Don't give him a foothold. Resist. And then finally, Peter says in verse 9, Resist him, resist the devil, firm in your faith. And then verse 12. Or excuse me, verse, yes, 12. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the true grace of God. How do you do that? How do you stand firm, church? Well, that's what we've been learning this whole series, right? This is what it looks like to stand firm, to be holy. <laughs> Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Don't give in to the flesh. Live out of who God has created you to be. Instead, act in such a way that when the Gentiles try to accuse you, they can't help but see God in you and in turn, turn to God and give him glory. Be subject to governors and employers and spouses, even when it's hard. Suffer for the sake of Jesus as Jesus suffered for you. Serve those you lead. And and, and if you're in a position to follow, follow those who have leadership over you according to the glory and grace and, and model of God. Love the brotherhood. Exercise your spiritual gifts. Be humble under the mighty hand of God towards God and towards each other. Church, this is what it looks like to stand firm Under pressure. These are the things with which God equips us to do just that. His past work is sufficient. His future work covers our inadequacies. And his his redesigned work in us makes us available to stand firm under the load today in the present. Church, dare I say, you're a flatbed trailer. You've got it. You're not an old pickup truck. You've got the capacity By the grace and through the provision of Jesus Christ, you are equipped for the load. (laughs) Use it for the name and glory of Jesus Christ. And that's how we end. Look at verse 11, this beautiful doxology. Actually, 10 and 11. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friends, you and I uh, may never experience the same level of persecution that our brothers and sisters in the first century did. We may, we may not, likely not. And yet, as we learn how to stand firm with what God has given us, we realize we're we're equipped for a lot more than we think we are. (laughs) And and church, I I know you face pressure. And I know it's hard. I know it's painful. But but here's what else I know. God's built you with an upward curve. Your payload capacity is up to whatever task God gives you, whatever pressure God allows you to face. And, And when that pressure comes... You have what you need to stand firm. So, dear ones, do it. Stand firm in Christ. Don't give in. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit on your kids. Don't quit on your faith. When life gets hard, when there's questions that you are struggling to answer, don't give in to the devil's accusations, the devil's lies, the devil's schemes. Don't do it. Instead, cling to what's yours. You have the kingdom, church. And after you've suffered a little while, and and you will, But remember, it's just a little while. After you suffered a little while, you'll be with God in the fullness of restored creation. Fully confirmed. Fully strengthened. And fully established in the lit glory of the Son of God. Wait for it, church. Wait for it. Stand firm in who you are and give God glory. (laughs) Church, the kingdom is God's. And he's invited us in. And so in that, the kingdom is yours. And in that we celebrate.